Welcome to the New Beginning Fellowship Church Sermon Podcast. We are glad you are listening to the teaching of the Word of the Lord. We pray that this message encourages you and builds your faith. We also pray that this message is only supplemental to your spiritual growth instead of being a replacement for daily personal Bible study, the pastor you should be submitted to, or the church God would have you to be an active member of. If you live within driving distance of Brobridge, Louisiana, we hope that you would come to visit us during one of our services on Sunday morning or Wednesday night. Service times, ministry information, and giving options are all located on our website at newbeginningfc.com or on our Facebook page at New Beginning Fellowship Church. May the Lord bless you and keep you and make His face to shine upon you. and we're going to look at the same text that we looked at last week with emphasis on some different verses. We're talking about the church, the church of Jesus Christ and what God intends for it to be. And this morning, I don't want to just teach to you, and this is, this is part of me growing as a, as a pastor and a minister. I, I've, I spend so much effort to make sure that I rightly understand the word and teach the word to you. But I realize it's not just about teaching, but it's about trying to get us to share a common goal and a common vision so that those things go beyond what we know in our heads to the things that we believe in our hearts and the things that we live out with our life. And so this morning, I desire that you would pray with me. We're going to read our text and we're going to pray and we're going to ask the Holy Ghost to give us a vision of what he wants his church to be and what it could be. Amen what the church could be, and for us to yearn for that, to strive for that, to long for that. You know, something that has blessed me over the years is uh, I know people who take things and remodel them, restore them. Uh, I've seen, you know, collectors do it with guns or people do it with cars and people remodel houses. And what's required of those people is for them to be able to approach something that is not what it ought to be. They see things the way that they are, but they also see what that thing could be. And then they work to take what is and to make it what it could be. And things that other people would look at and despise and all they see is the blemishes and the issues and the flaws. And they see not only what is, but they see what can be, what ought to be. And this morning, what I desire for us is to look at the word of the Lord and say, God, this is what you say the church ought to be. This is what the church can be. This is what the body of Christ can be. Give us a vision and give us a desire to put our hands to the plow, to put our hands to the hammer and to the nail and to build and to see what God has in his heart come to pass. Amen. And so let's read our text this morning. In Ephesians chapter 4, verse 11 to 16, he says, And he gave the apostles and the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds, and teachers to equip the saints for the work of ministry, for building up the body of Christ, until we all attain to the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God, to mature manhood, to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ, so that we may no longer be children tossed to and fro by the waves and carried about by every wind of doctrine, 
by human cunning, by craftiness and deceitful schemes. Rather, speaking the truth in love, we are to grow up in every way into him who is the head into Christ, from whom the whole body joined and held together. Listen to that again, verse 16. From whom the whole body joined and held together by every joint with which it is equipped, when each part is working properly, makes the whole body grow so that it builds itself up in love. So that it builds itself up in love. The purpose of this text, the the long idea that Paul is going through, so many thoughts, so many analogies and ideas of what the body of Christ is and how that works is all of it to get to this point, right? If if Paul's run-on sentences have confused you, you're not alone. Here's the point. Everything that God is doing in the individual people, in you, in each of you, in the husband, the wife, the children, the family, this family, that family, each thing that he's doing in your individual life is for this purpose, that the whole body might grow together into the head, into Christ, that it might be a body fit for him. Amen? But this happens, verse 16, as the whole body is joined and held together. I want to talk to you this morning about a body together. Amen? A unity in the body, a love and a commitment together of the body of Christ. Can we pray? Ask the Lord for the help of his spirit this morning. God Almighty, we desire that your word would be open to us. And we desire that the spirit of the Lord would quicken it to us and make it a reality. Lord, we ask you that you would come and that you would create a vision in our heart and in our minds of what the church ought to be, what it can be, the glory, the splendor, the beauty of the body of Christ. Lord, we ask you to come and to give us a burden and a desire to see it come to pass. Lord, store it up in our hearts till we cannot stand to live in a world where the church is not the church. Let us crave it. Let us long for it. Let us yearn for it, Lord, until there is such a hope built up in us that if it is deferred, it will make us sick. Our hearts will long to have what God intends for his body to be. Thank you, Lord, for what you're doing in the earth. And thank you that we get to be a part of it in Jesus' mighty name. Amen. Amen. And so here he says in verse 11, he gives all of these offices, apostle, prophet, evangelist, teacher, or shepherd and teacher, pastor and teacher. He gives these offices, these individuals uh, to perform in this calling as one of these things. And he gives all of them together to his body and the things that they do is they teach and they lead. Amen. That's, that's what all of these things do in different ways is they are for governance or they are for teaching. And they lead the body. They shape the body. They're to mature the body in different ways. But they're doing those things because by doing those things, they are not maturing the body. They are preparing the body to mature itself. Amen. They are preparing the body to mature 
itself. And so the maturity depends on those who receive the leadership and receive the instruction, being willing to move forward in their own individual process to mature themselves and to help mature others. Amen. And so these things happen to equip the saints, the individual holy people of God for the work of the ministry, for building up the body of Christ. When? When will this stop? You know when this will stop? Until. This will continue until this happens. Until we all, verse 13, until we all attain to the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God to mature manhood to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ. Now, we talked about this last week. It's a little awkward, but you get the picture, right? So you have Christ who is the head, the full measure of the stature. He's a mature man. He is the head of the body. And the point is for him to have a body that he can work through. And so as long as the church is immature, then there's a mature head with an immature body, right? So you get that image in your head of a full grown man and then an immature body underneath of it, right? And after the service last week, we talked about that. Brother James sent me a a picture of uh, a cartoon picture. I I think the character was Megamind or something like that. Some cartoon character that had this giant brain, but a tiny body. I don't, you don't have to watch cartoons to get my sermon illustrations. I I haven't seen it either. So, uh, but the point was, it was a funny looking body, right? This, all of this intelligence and brainiac stuff going on up here and then a tiny little body. And so each of us are members of that body. When the Bible calls us members of the body of Christ, it's not like a country club membership where your name is on a roll somewhere. Are you a member of the church? Oh, my name has been on the roll for 54 years. That's not the point. That's not whether or not I would call you a member or someone else would call you a member. The point of a member is that you're part of the body, right? Amen? So I can take this finger and cut it off from the body, which I wouldn't do. Well, I'm doing some home renovation, so if it happens, that's my uh, inexperience there. But just because I can write down, you know, for, okay, Brandon's body, you know, head, shoulders, arms, legs, and, you know, ten fingers. Well, you cut that finger off of the body, it's not a member anymore, Right? You get the point? So membership is not about having your name on a roll somewhere. Membership is about being a part of the body and receiving from the body and giving to the body. Amen? That's the point of the body is the body gives to itself and gets from itself, right? So your hands get circulation from the heart, right? But then your hands have to take care of the rest of the body. So if you don't stink this morning... You know, praise God, hopefully you don't. It's because the hands were willing to turn on the water, put the soap onto the loofah, rub your body, get the stink off. So the body takes care of the body, right? This is the glory of the body that the body takes care of itself. Amen. So if you're at home, you're working and you're driving a nail into a board and you're swinging the hammer and all of a sudden the same hand that's holding the hammer misses the nail and hits the thumb right? And you burst it. What happens? The same hand that hurt the body drops the hammer and squeezes it and takes care of it. It bandages it, puts the antiseptic on, it takes care of it. 
And then those nerve endings send a signal to your brain, right? That tells that brain something bad happened here. And it needs to send all of those chemicals to that part of the body to heal it and to make it repair itself because the body takes care of the body, right? Your mouth eats the food, the stomach digests the food, and then it sends those nutrients to the rest of the body, Amen? Your feet take your body to where the rest of the body needs to go. Everything that happens to the body, the body does it. The point is we are the body of Christ. And our health is not only dependent on our relationship with Christ, but our relationship to the rest of the body. Amen? That's that's how it has to happen. We can't say, oh, I'm connected to the head, but I'm not connected to the body. Right? Right? How weird would you look walking around as a thumb stuck to the side of a head, right? I'm part of the body. I'm connected to the head, but I'm not attached to the rest of that body because I don't like that body. That body's full of hypocrites. It's full of imperfect people. They looked at me sideways. I don't like what they said. I don't like what they did. I'm bored in the body. Can I tell you something? Sometimes church is boring. And so is every other meaningful relationship in your life. Is your relationship with your children everything you put on Facebook? Went to the park today with the kids. Had ice cream today with the kids. Took the kids to the movies. Had lots of fun. And you know what it's also filled with? Wiping boogers. Changing diapers them asking you for the 90,000th time if they can have the same thing for their birthday that they've been asking for since the day after their birthday last year, right? Can I have a train set? Can I have a train set? Can I have a train set? Can I have a video game? Can I have a video game? Can I have a video game? I will burn the house down. Not only will you not get a video game, but you won't have a place to live. Please stop asking about the video game. It's full of monotony. It's full of boredom. Right, I, I know that not everyone has the same relationships, but I can honestly say my wife and I have just the most amazing relationship that I've ever had with any other person in the world. She's my favorite person. I love my wife. There was no one like my wife. And there are days where we're just so bored with each other, right? We're like, could you even have a bad attitude just to change it up, right? Just to make it a little different, right? Can we just not have the same thing every day? You get bored, but that's the marriage. That's why there's a covenant to be together all of the time that we say, till death do us part. Because there are sometimes without the covenant, you just want to part, Right? And so you say, together forever, right? And sometimes the church is boring, but you don't get to be a part of the body just connected to the head. You've got to be a part of the rest of the, of the body, right? And so what does he say? He says this, verse 15. He says, rather speaking the truth in love, we are to grow up in every way into him who is the head, into Christ, Christ. Christ in to him. We are seeking unity with other, with each other in relationship to him. 
Amen? That he is my focus, he is your focus, and we are seeking him together. And as we're getting closer to Jesus, we're getting closer to one another, growing, maturing, being part of each other's lives. Into Christ, from from whom the whole body joined and held together by every joint with which it is equipped when each part is working properly. When it says this, the whole body joined and held together, this is something that has struck me just recently, and it's answered a question that I've had for years. As a pastor, I have searched for Scripture, looked at Scripture, and I've I've often been kind of confused about the lack of commands for Christians to be together. And I'm trying to teach people, and we live in a culture where people say, I'm a Christian, I love Jesus, I follow Jesus, but they're not together with the body. They don't go to church, they don't fellowship together, they don't love each other, serve each other. They live very independent from the church, and they think that their relationship with the Lord is a lonely thing. One, just an island of me and Jesus. And I've looked for scripture to try and encourage them and strengthen them. And you know what I found over and over and over again? That it is one of the few things in scripture that is expected from every Christian, but it's hardly ever commanded because it was so much a natural part of the Christian life that you didn't have to say it often. You didn't have to frequently beat people up and go, remember, 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 remember. It was just a natural part of their life. Now, get this. Think about this with me. Constantly, in the New Testament letters, the apostles are telling people these things over and over and over. Don't have sex outside of marriage. Don't lie and steal and cheat. Don't commit adultery. Don't hurt people with your words. Don't be malicious and beat people up. There are commands in Scripture to not worship idols. In the New Testament, there are commands in the New Testament not to murder. You're having to tell Christians, look, they're alive. Don't change that. (laughs) What? What a revelation. Don't kill people, right? You love Jesus. You call the name of the Lord. You pray. You go to church. You're serving the Lord together. But I still feel it's necessary to let you know, don't undo that life thing. Don't kill them, right? Don't put them into dirt. And you know what's hardly ever had to be told to them? Be together with God's people. It is taken for granted. It is assumed. It was so much a natural part of Christian life that it was like commanding people to breathe, right? The book of Second Opinions, chapter 4, thou shalt breathe constantly every day. Well, I don't need anyone to tell me that. Look with me. You know what it does? It notes over and over again how glorious the fellowship was, not having to constantly command it. It just notices. It goes, look at the church. It's pretty. It's wonderful. It's glory. Look at the church and look at what it's doing and look what Jesus is doing in the church. Praise God. If he acts, acts chapter 2. In Acts chapter 4, it was just the way that things were. It was just the way that things were. People met Jesus, and they said, I got to be around other people who love him too. All the time. Acts chapter 2. 
Acts chapter 2, verse 42 to 47. This is after the day of Pentecost, and they preached the gospel, and thousands of people came into the kingdom of God and were saved. And it says in verse 42, and they devoted themselves, this is the people, those who believed on Jesus, and they devoted themselves to what? To the apostles' teaching and fellowship and to the breaking of bread and the prayers. They got into the kingdom of God and immediately they go, you've got to teach us about Jesus. And and we've got to be together and we've got to share meals together and we've got to pray together. This is our devotion. This is our commitment. This is what we are going to sell our lives into. We have to be devoted to this. And how did it look? What happened? And awe came upon every soul. The people who were looking at the church said, this is glorious. This is beautiful. Look what God is doing. It says in verse 44, it says, and all who believed were together. What do we read in Ephesians chapter 4? Every joint together, held together, together, unified. And all who believed were together and had all things in common. Verse 45, and they were selling their possessions and belongings and distributing the proceeds to all as many as had need. And day by day, attending the temple together and breaking bread in their homes, they received their food with gladness and generous hearts, praising God and having favor with all the people. And the Lord added to their number day by day those who were being saved. All who believed were together. And look at the commitment that they had to one another. They had all things in common, and they were selling everything that they had to give it to the poor. Now, this is something that is not a pattern that the selling everything and giving it to the poor and giving it for the needs of one another. This was an emergency situation. This is not saying this is what every Christian needs to do. You read the epistles. This is not what everyone did all the time. The point was we're all believing in Jesus. And if you read the rest of the story of Acts, what happened is the moment you believed in Jesus Christ, the moment that you professed him as Lord and Savior and God to the glory of God, the moment you did that, you were cut off from the temple You were excommunicated from the people. You weren't allowed to work. You weren't allowed to have food. You weren't allowed to have homes. They would just, the community rejected them as a whole and they were no longer able to participate in the economy of Jerusalem and Israel if people found out. And so they were having to live this difficult life of trying to tell people about Jesus, but not putting it in certain people's faces in a business sense so that they could keep providing for one another. But they were just setting this place on fire with the gospel. And in this emergency situation, people were starving. People had no food, no money. And they were saying, you know what? To take care of you, my brother, my sister, I'm so committed to you. I'll sell everything that I have to be able to make sure that you're okay. Now, eventually it got so intense they couldn't stay there. They had to leave. The point is not that we should all be selling everything that we have because if we all sell everything that we have and everybody, all of us sell all of our homes and all of our land and then we all eat all of that, right? We sell it all for food. Then where are we going to live, 
right? Because if you sell your house and I sell my house, I can't stay with you at your house and you can't stay with me at mine because I don't have one, right? So the point was they were an emergency situation. It was the sign of their commitment to one another. It was the sense that I'm so devoted to the body of Christ that I want to do whatever I have to do to take care of it. And I love it. I love the body. I love God's people. And so they were together and they were ministering one to the other and strengthening each other. Listen, it says this again in verse, in chapter 4, verse 32. Chapter 4, verse 32. Now the full number of those who believed were of one heart and soul. I don't need you to just be taught today. I need you to have a vision for what this would be like. Can you marvel at this? Can you study the word of God and see how often the hearts of God's people have been divided and separated over and over again through the Old Testament with the, the best prophets and preachers and te- Moses leading the people out, all the miracles that they saw still not together still in disagreement, still arguing, still bickering. And he says, when these people believed the gospel, they were together and they shared one heart and one soul. It was like there wasn't even a separation between their hearts. It was like it was just one. One soul, one heart. One passion, one desire. This is the way that they live their life. It's impossible for me to make this real for you. I I have tried and prayed and sought the Lord, and I can't put it into words what that looks like, but I know that in my heart there's a vision of it. I know I see it by the Spirit of God, but I don't know how to explain it in a way that makes it possible for us to live that way. but it's what my heart longs for. It's not just to have enough people in the church or to have enough ministries happening or to have enough activity or good tithes and offerings or a nice building. But that the body would be together. It would share one heart, the heart of Jesus. One yearning, one desire to be God's people. I told you that there's hardly any commands in the New Testament to be together as a body. Go read the New Testament. It's it's almost strange that it's not there. The one place that it is there is in Hebrews chapter 10. Go with me there. And the way that you know that it's the one of very few places that it exists is because if I quoted it to you, if I started it, all of you would be able to finish it because it's the only one that's quoted over and over again as the instruction, hey, the church should be together, right? 
I guarantee you somebody can quote it to me. If you haven't found it yet and you know which one I'm talking about, what is it? Because there's one, right? There's one John 3.16, right? Right? Like all of that compacted together into one verse. And then there's like this one verse that's like, hey, don't stop going to church. What does that tell you? That if I got to tell you, don't kill people. But I pretty much don't even have to barely ever say, don't quit going to church. And it was just so natural for them. It was like breathing. And it took an extreme scenario for that to happen. Hebrews chapter 10, verse 24, says this. And let us consider how to stir up one another to love and good works, not neglecting to meet together as is the habit of some. Don't neglect to meet together. To be together is a corporate body for all of the things that happen in the corporate body. What does it say that they did to the apostles' teaching, right? So authoritative leadership, teaching the word of the Lord, right? To fellowship, to the breaking of bread, and to prayer. So you're getting together to worship and pray, to fellowship together, to hear the word of the Lord taught and to study it together, and to minister to one another and one another's needs. Not neglecting to meet together as is the habit of some. There's a trend starting that he's addressing. I see this beginning to take place in the church. People who are Christians, who love the Lord and serve the Lord, have started to not come. There is this some, this small amount of people who aren't coming anymore. And I don't want you to follow them in that trend. Don't be a part of that. Don't be led into that the way that they are. Instead, but encouraging one another and all the more as you see the day drawing near. I want you to realize this with me. It took an extreme circumstance for this to happen. Look with me at verse 32. What is it that caused them to not be together? to stop going. He says, verse 32, but recall the former days when after you were enlightened, you endured a hard struggle with sufferings, sometimes sometimes being publicly exposed to reproach and affliction, and sometimes being partners with those so treated. For you had compassion on those in prison And you joyfully accepted the plundering of your property since you knew that you yourselves had a better possession and an abiding one. Therefore, do not throw away your confidence, which has a great reward. You have need of endurance so that when you have done the will of God, you may receive what is promised. He's telling them, and if you study the whole book of Hebrews, the whole emphasis is that Jesus is better than the Old Testament, 
right? He's better than the sacrifices. He's better than Moses. He's better than the angels. He's better than the prophets. He's better than the blood of bulls and of goats. He's better than the temple. He's better than the priest. He's better than all of it. And the point is that these Jews, this is written about 30 to 40 years after the the crucifixion of Jesus and the birth of the church. And so these people have been being faithful to Christ as Jews, excommunicated from the Jewish faith, cut off from the temple, persecuted, suffering, starving, pushed outside. And for 30 to 40 years, they have been faithful. And now their faithfulness is beginning to wane and they're just getting tired. I mean, knows what it's like to walk with God, but to just be tired, to be hurting to feel like, I don't know if I can do it anymore. And they're at a point where they say, we're just tempted to go back. To say, hey, this was good enough for Moses. It was good enough for Isaiah. It was good enough for David and the prophets. And we'll know that we worship Jesus. But maybe we can just sneak back in and become part of the community. And just find a way to make it work out. And not be so hard and try to live a Christian life. But to not suffer so much. Maybe we can just avoid it. If we just don't associate with the church. And go over there and expose ourselves to harsh treatment. Maybe we can just be faithful to God. But not suffer so much. And it took this extreme sense of struggle to begin to start a trend of people struggling to be faithful to the house of the Lord. It was so rare that it hardly ever happened and it took 30 30 to 40 years for it to begin to be an issue then why is it so common today? Don't you think because you go to church, go to church every Sunday, that that's not you. You're thinking about a cousin or a neighbor or or an uncle or somebody that they go to church once a month or only twice a month or once every Easter or Christmas that they're the one that this is for and it's not for us. It's not just about coming together to hear a sermon and then leave. When they came together, they came together as a body to serve one another, to minister to one another, to build up the body of Christ, that they had a vision together of the body becoming the body and they were willing to submit themselves to each other's needs and to minister to one another in whatever way they could to see the body become whole. It was a shared life. It was a shared life. And so when he says, don't neglect to meet together, (laughs) please don't think just because we go to church every Sunday that we're ticking that box. Okay? This is the statement, this statement to meet together is pregnant with all of those other ideas. Amen? And so this is for all of us. Are we together? Are we serving one another? Are we loving one another? Are we building each other up? I say that it is not persecution that has made it so difficult for us to be together as the body. I say to you that what it is, is it's actually the opposite. For them, it was the pressing is so hard that it's tempting to let it push us out. For us, it's that the pressure is so minimal and it just doesn't seem important. Can I just be that honest with you? That for them, the church was life because it was the only community that they had. 
And this was the mindset. And today, if you go to China or to Burma or to North Korea, you go to India and you meet with God's people. It's like looking in this book again. And I see them and they look at each other like, I can't do this without you. I'm so hurt. I'm so wounded by this society, this culture, this world that hates us. There's such a bold, strong line between God's people and the world. And they hate us so much that it's hard to live. And if I don't have you encouraging me to walk with God, I feel like I may give up tomorrow. If I don't have your joy, if I don't have your wisdom, if I don't have your love, if I don't have your teaching, if I don't have your encouragement, if I don't have your support, I don't know how I will make it another day. And the world is pressing them together. And for us, man, that unity that you're looking for, you can find it in baseball, right? We're together as a team. You can find it at the gym, Right? Obviously, I'm not going there anymore, but when I, when I went to CrossFit, they were like, oh, we're going to be a, we're a community, right? We're going to do this together and we're going to have text groups together, encourage each other. You come in tomorrow morning, you're going to be there, right? It's a, we're trying to build a community and everything in the world is trying to build a community outside of the people of God because our, our society is more separated than it's ever been. And so you know what we need? We need fake society. We need social media, right? We need social groups and all of these different things. And I'm not trying to be cynical or or critical, but you see in other churches, right? The the method of being together is, well, we'll be part of a running group. We'll be part of a, a woodworking group. We'll be part of this kind of group because the common interest that they have to unite together around is not Jesus. It's whatever activity that I'm already doing in life. And we have to find ways to try and create this unity and this love. And it's difficult, right? It's difficult because our lives are so full in every other way apart from the church that it's okay. It's okay. I don't really feel like I need you. You don't really feel like you need me. Are we going to church Sunday? Well, if it's convenient, if grandma's not coming over, if we're not having a party afterwards. Well, if if you're having lunch together at 12, couldn't you just push it to 1230 and come to church anyway? cook the night before. I don't know. Right. I don't know. That's, is that impossible? We can't just do it the night before, but we find every reason to be apart, to be separated, to not be together because we don't have things pushing us together. And I'm not just talking about coming together on Sunday. I'm talking about living life together. Do you have room in your life for other people? Maybe you've made room for Sunday morning, but we got to get there just at the last minute, leave as soon as church is over, and then I have no time for you during the week. No time to fellowship, to be together, to pray together, to minister to one another. Life is full, and we live in a culture that makes it difficult not to, right? I know what that is, right? I got five kids. We got school. We got to take them to school. And then I got work. And then we got church on Wednesday night. And we got, you know, these things we got to do. And we're trying to have the, get the kids to have fun because they're cooped up in the house and they're looking for something to do. And I know I'm struggling. I struggle to juggle, to get it all together, to make it a priority. And I'm just saying to you, it's going to take us recognizing that it's not so natural 
anymore. We don't have things pushing us together the way that they did. And it's easy to just separate and let it all fill up with all of the other things that keep us separated. And if we're going to be together as the body, then we have to have a vision for that. We have to believe it's the priority. We have to believe that it's important. We have to believe that it's what Jesus wants. And ask him, Lord, how can you unite our hearts together? How can you tie them together in the bonds of love? It's, it's got to be something the Lord does. I don't know how to do it. I don't know how to do it. I don't know how to lead the church into it. I know that I crave it. I want it. I want to see it. We've got to seek the Lord together. We've got to have a vision for it together. We've got to say, Lord, what would it be like if the church was the church? I know this. I don't know how to get it. I don't know how to make it. I thought I did. Where I was a pastor, I thought, man, when and I got to see this in the Bible and I'm reading it and I'm seeing the Lord in it and, and all of that. And I thought, when we have a church, if I'm leading, this is what our church is going to look like. <laughs> and I, now I don't, I, I thought just preaching that would make it true, right? And it was easy to have, you know what? We had it in Bible college. Because we were all young and single and five days a week we had to go to school and study together. And all the people we studied together, we live on the same floor. And so you walk out and you just start talking about the Bible and talking about Jesus. I'm like, praise God, this is what church is going to be like. And then you have five children, you get married and everything gets busy. Life is insane and the culture is pulling at you more and more time and it gives you more and more things to fill your life up with. Now I'm going, I have the vision, but how? This is what I can tell you. I don't know how to have the church be the church. But I know this. If you ever see it, it will be the most beautiful thing you've ever seen in your life. And I know there's a craving in my heart to see it. I want to see the church be the church. And so this morning, brother, if you could come and lead us in worship, I'm going to ask you if you would, if you would come to the front and worship with us and pray with us. And we're just going to seek the Lord together. You can just kneel in these altars. And when we come to the altar, we come together in the same way that they did. One heart and one mind for one purpose, right? They shared a purpose and a vision and a goal to seek the Lord together for his will, to seek God for the Lord to unite their hearts together. That's how they did it in the Old Testament. When they needed to pray and ask God to move, they went to the altar. They were too far away. They would build an altar but they would build it as this place of sacrifice and faith and worship. And they would come together to seek the Lord. And so I ask you if you would come in these altars and worship God and seek him and seek his face and seek him for a vision, seek him to make it real to you, that you would say, Lord, I want to see the church. I want to see the church be the church. I want to be that part of the body that each joint supplies. I want you to be supplying things to me so that I can supply it to the body. And I want you to make me humble enough that when the body supplies something to me, that I can receive it and that I can grow together the body and me and me in the body, growing up into Christ who is the head. And so this morning, if you would come and pray and seek the Lord with us, amen. Praise God. You are worthy of it all